Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. On today's episode, I've got Misha Zarens, who is the artist, producer, musician for the show, uh, but he actually has also just made music for the majority of his life. Uh, has several albums that he's produced and, and put together, and I just thought it would be really fun to, to bring him on and have him talk about what his influences are, what his process is, and, and just kind of introduce you know some of you to his music that maybe haven't heard it before. I think he's got a really fascinating <clears throat> take and style on the whole thing, and uh, yeah, thought it would be really cool. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Uh, today we have a pretty special treat. Down from St. Louis, we have the producer, artist, and musician of the Walk Show Podcast. That is Misha Zarens. Hey, what's up? <laughs> what's up, man? Uh, so yeah, we're just kind of going to jump right into it. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know Misha, uh, Misha is a, one of my best friends for my whole life and uh, is a really interesting character. Misha went to Phoenix for nearly a year to go to school to be an audio engineer, maybe over a year, I don't know, but quite a while to be About that. an audio engineer. Uh, and so is a, basically a professional audio engineer, even though that's not what he does for his profession. Uh, for his profession, and I don't mean to speak for him too much, but he's an electrical engineer, has a degree in electrical engineering, and then has leveraged that into literally being a rocket scientist. Gangster so, Gangster um, he's, he's, he's still a super grounded and, and, and interesting guy though. Like I said, I just, I love to death and I'm super <laughs> excited that he's here today. Not literal rocket scientist, but yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a rocket scientist. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say where, cause we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to put that out there, but he works for a fucking rocket company. So fuck <laughs> off. You know what I mean? You can guess which one, you know what I mean? But I'm telling you, yes, guys are rocket definitely scientists. Guess. Yeah. Definitely and, uh, Anyway, and then, and then the other thing is is that for, for longer than all of those things have been true, he's been a musician. And he's got, what is it, eight, nine albums, basically, that you've put out over years yeah. now. And, uh, and I lost track, but yeah, somewhere around. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do. I, I don't keep track. Yeah, anymore. well, and he's never, you know. He's My never, mom actually reminded me about it. <laughs> nice. Well, he's, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't, he's never tried to sell them. You know, he's never been, he's never hung out at the mall and, and asked people to pay him five bucks to get a copy and. It's a really... hobby. It's donation, you know. That's yeah, just, that's, but it's fun. But anyway, so it, it's really cool, and so we're going to explore a lot of different things today in this conversation. But uh, but we're going to start off actually just talking about Misha's music. So uh, recently, you've been working on, I guess, a new album. You'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, none of the work that I actually work on really lends itself to being an album i actually don't intend to actually make an album i actually want to make just one song and then i find one song and i'm like yeah this is great and i just want to release that one song and work on it but one idea then like kind of inspires another one and i don't really limit myself to how i actually produce those ideas because a i don't have to pay rent with this hobby and there's no like monetary value and there's no like expectation so it's just open-ended creative world so I eventually, with this particular one, ended up with 28 tracks, from which I selected 11. And what happens to the other 17? 
Uh, for right now, they're just kind of back cataloged. They're either unfinished or they're... I have them separated in folders in stage one, stage two, stage three. Stage one being preliminary, just idea that I kind of created. Stage two being like, it's there, but it needs to be fleshed out in terms of structure. And then stage three needs mastering and mixing. So God forbid something horrible happens. This is basically what we would have that would be the equivalent of like Tupac's like Machiavelli albums. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. yeah you'd get a ton of Machiavelli albums. Sure. Oh, sure. Volume one yeah. through thirty five. I wonder if something. we would I wonder if we would turn you into a poet character. It's super weird because I actually think about it all the time. Like, what if I died? I wonder if my fiance Bridget would like actually go through my computer and find out like all these songs because I'm working on another album where I sing and creating like singer songwriter stuff and it's just me and acoustic guitar like would she find those would right. she want to like produce those and like give them or give them to someone to like produce them and mm-hmm. like have a way to like mm-hmm. I don't know be a memento to my right. memory you know like right. I, I mean I don't know yeah know. unfortunately uh, most of the listeners probably don't know but she doesn't actually have ears. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Make it very difficult for her to freak. locate the music. Right. I mean, maybe she could find the files, but right. she's not going to know what it is. Actually, makes my job a lot easier knowing <laughs> that she actually doesn't have ears. It makes it actually better. It. Okay, she actually does have ears. She but does have ears. what's funny is she's that what I actually love about her is the fact that she actually doesn't care about music at all. Right. It's awesome. She her hobby is actually dogs. And what's funny is that like I don't really care about dog <laughs> aspects in that regard at Hear all. That? Hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show. <laughs> no, and she's known, and we've talked about it openly where it's like if we had conflicting hobbies, because that's kind of a thing with relationships, is that whenever you find somebody, you try and find someone that has a similar interest. Like, oh, we both like baking or we both like painting or whatever mm-hmm. so we're common in that kind of interest mm-hmm. and that's why we're so compatible and not why this relationship will last but actually what makes us incredibly compatible is the fact that we have diverging hobbies that neither one of us can be we're both stubborn so if she was actually super into music and she wanted to comment constantly and nitpick like my creative process and my music i would probably find that really annoying and she would probably find it really annoying if i was like commenting constantly on her like Westminster showmanship, like actually, you're supposed to put the dog feet parallel to the ground, and you know, right, right, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that people definitely. I, I, I don't know. the The thing is, is that there's two ways that there's more than two ways. There's infinite ways that people can be can be friends or find one another. But whatever. The point I was gonna make is just that, like, you can you can have like a common personality with someone and yeah. not have common interests and yeah. it can work because yeah, yeah. of that. And we share a similar worldview. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really like good way to put it. Our perspectives on reality are almost identical. Right. Like she is well, probably the only person you're probably a close second to someone that actually can like think inside of my brain and think about what I'm thinking and verbally tell me that. And me being like holy shit, I can't believe you actually just said that because that's exactly what I was thinking and my point and my mindset. Did you ever you know see the mean? show Herman's Head in the early 90s? Oh, shit, I forgot about that. There was like that. four people in his head. Yeah. Oh, my God. Think of that holy shit, that? that's such a weird <laughs> reference. <laughs> yes. Right. Holy shit, I forgot all about that I don't, that mean, I don't no. remember very much others. So there's wow. no change yet, but yeah, Herman's, Herman's Head. Herman's Head, yeah. yeah. Anyway, look at people. It's yeah. a thing. yeah. Um, <laughs> but really the thing is, is that I think also though people think that 
that shared worldview is the most common way that relationships are formed, and I actually don't think that's true. I think actually shared interest is actually most often because that's how you get around other people is like, yeah. hey, we both do this thing. Right. And then you become friends or whatever through that. Right. Even though you might actually be very different people outside of that arena, you found each other in that. So it you know, it works both ways, I guess. You know what yeah. I mean? Like no, you go I either mean, way. It's it's a case by case basis. Sure. Like if it works for you and you have yeah. a very specific individual case that works for your relationship, like go with by it. no means like let anybody else deter you. Right, if yeah. it works, go for it. Right. If right. it doesn't, then change it. Yeah. Like that's probably uh so yeah, so earlier before we started uh, talking here, we, we were talking just off, off air about uh, Misha's new songs he's been working on, and uh, he had, had played one for me in particular that, that he thought I would be interested in, and I was, and, and so I, I want to actually uh, play that now. So here is, uh, is there a title for it or anything, or just? Uh, it's a date. A, so. a date? Yeah. Like uh, like it's like June seventh, nineteen sixty five. Yeah, they're all like nine sixteen or nine fifteen or eight fifteen. Okay. But it's just... not literally called a date. Oh no, no, okay, yeah. it's just yeah, they're all number slash gotcha. the date. Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. So, do you know what date it is? Then? No. Okay. We're gonna assume we're gonna. Well, I'll tell you. We'll go with nine eleven. So there we go. Probably nine eleven. So probably here's nine eleven, folks. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, yeah. Well, that was awesome, dude. Uh, I th- so the thing that's you know again you've made albums for years and years now, right? And the thing that's common in them is that that you there's a there's a uh, a use of the banjo that <laughs> frankly you just don't hear outside of very specific genres. Yeah. And your music doesn't sound like banjo music, but it's something that I feel, having listened to your music for a long time, that it's almost kind of like your unique niche. Now, I'm not super into... um, I don't listen to a wide variety of acoustic artists, so I guess I can't speak to the breadth of what's available, but I've, I've never heard anything that sounds like what you're playing. I've never heard anything that uses the banjo combined with that up tempo style of acoustic music sure Is that sure, sure. and the layman trying yeah. to speak to it but no no no. yeah yeah no that, that that's it the banjo gets a bad stigma because it comes from appalachia because people attribute it to folk because people attribute it to bluegrass redneck hillbilly yeah right right i mean it, it's deliverance music. and it's not that it's not that <laughs> and that that's <laughs> bad in any way it's just when you think about the guitar and you think about like metal and you think about distortion, you think about the, the way it's played, like certainly the guitar is not played just that way. Like you can have classical, like, or flamenco guitar, you could have like blues or you could have singer songwriter. Like there's a way, a, a variety of ways to use that instrument that's utilized for its intended purpose. And the banjo, unfortunately just gets the stigma where if you play the banjo, then you're dueling banjos and you're from Arkansas and you're deliverance and you're going to, you know, whatever. Right. But really, like, it, it's such a, a percussive, like, twangy, funky instrument that there's no reason that you can't play metal on a banjo. It would sound kind of unique and maybe weird. And there's plenty of YouTube videos of people, like, actually doing, like, metal and stuff like that. But not really a lot of people out there that create the banjo to necessitate an idea. And really, it wasn't that I, like, sought out to, like, create music with the banjo and I wanted to include it exactly the opposite. I tried to collect music instruments so that I have a variety of tools with which to create from. The painter has the best chance of creating the picture that they want to create if they have a wide palette of things that they can choose from. And so that's really my approach to it is that I thought, well, shit, this is a really fucking awesome, funky, like bass riff or fucking funky drum fill or um, guitar riff. And there's something that's kind of missing, and then the banjo just kind of like fit. And I just hit it, and I was like, "Damn, that just like ties it all together. It's mm-hmm. awesome." And nobody plays it like that, and I don't know why no one plays it like that. Because you can just funk the shit out of that thing. You can bend strings. You can just make it super percussive, and it's just super fun to play it that way. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't, you know, consider myself like an innovator by any means. But it's, it's fun to just play around with elements that are otherwise been stigmatized or put into a specific box in a category, you know. Again, I don't know how valid this is for someone with an actual ear for music. I mean, I spend an enormous amount of time listening to music, but I don't actually know that much about it. But um, it it actually kind of reminds me, and again, feel free to, to correct the record, but it kind of oh, reminds me yeah, of, uh, <laughs> of the way that... Um, Les Claypool, the Primus guy, yeah. plays the slap yeah. bass. Yeah, correct. Like, it yep. doesn't sound like it, but it kind of, right. it's reminiscent of that. Yeah, no, it's for like sure. It's kind of reminiscent of that, where it's like, it's still just, I mean, it's, it's a bass or whatatever, but it's yeah. like, but he's doing something that's kind of unique with it. And it's yeah. not like it's right. 
a wholly wildly different experience. It's still a bass. It's still a banjo. Right. But it's a little nuance. You know, it's a little twist on it that is interesting. And yeah. in the case of him, has provided him a 30-year career in music. I oh, mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for so, sure. Absolutely. And the, the weird thing about that, I mean, if I was given a chance to to have some kind of monetary value on my experience of making music and make that some way to like produce income for me and pay bills. Like I, I want to say obviously that I would take that opportunity because then I get to make money on the thing that I love doing. Yeah. But the downside of that, that I do think about is that then I have to produce based on the fact that I need it for rent or a mortgage or a car payment. And because I have to do those things to supplement my income, I have to think about the product that I'm selling and what audience I'm selling it to. So for Primus, like initially, I'm sure that they thought about like, let's just go out there and just like play some music and see what happens. But the thing that I don't like about Primus, and this is uh, a little like overly simplistic, I guess, but it almost becomes gimmicky. Yeah. Because now after they're like 10 albums in, they're still producing like the same kind of style because it's expected of them to play the same kind of style. Cause if they changed it and all of a sudden they just made like a jazz record, their whole fan base would be like, what the fuck is this? And it's like, I've got a mortgage to help hold. Yeah, I've got but a, I think you know? that's, I think that's, a, I think that's part of like artistic risk. Like I think that, um, I think that you, that's, that's part of the gamble you have to take. Like if you look at tool, you know, which, We'll talk about Tool later or another time or whatever in more detail, but for sure. Um, but if you look at like Tool, their albums are pretty different. Now, Opiate to um, Undertow, which are the first two albums, right, are are kind of are pretty the most similar in tone, I would say. Yes, but going from like Undertow to Anima, wildly different. Anima to Lateralist, you can follow the progression, but those do not sound the same. 10,000 Days doesn't sound like any of them. And I, I would disagree, uh, only because I think that there is a progression there that remains rooted in what they were, but exploring the boundaries with which they have to create. Certainly right. when they brought on Justin, the bass player, right. like things kind of opened up because he was way more of an innovator and but, yeah, more of a you, part of the song than Paul was. If you was look at, like, on 10,000 Days, though, if you look at a song like The Pot or... Wings from Marie. Wings Marie or... Uh, yeah, Rosetta, Rosetta Stone. Stone or right to, right to... Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. There's nothing else in their catalog that sounds even kind of like no, that. No, but... And it, Primus isn't willing to take that risk, is my point. Exactly. Like, Tool is willing to explore, so... But it's a progression that starts from a base that slowly moves towards that, not sure. drastically changes that. My only point, though, is simply that if you were to, say, for example, be, get the ability to make money off of your music and, and go that direction with it, I think the only way you end up being gimmicky is if you choose to be gimmicky. I think, yeah. that, it's, I think that Primus chose that, and maybe they didn't choose it Maybe they didn't sit down and say, yeah, let's just do a gimmick because that's all we care about. Right. It probably was more organic than that. Right. But ultimately, it's just about where you're willing to push yourself and right. what, if you're willing to, to fail. I right. mean, yeah, yeah. Right. 10,000 Days when it came out was my least favorite Tool album. It now is, in my opinion, their masterpiece. Right. And I hope that the let's one that comes out down. soon. Uh, let's and, slow down. No, there. I won't. Yeah, let's I won't. not. Anima is their masterpiece. Mm. 
Okay, we'll agree yeah. to disagree because we'll I'm right. Disagree so talk about that's fine. Time. I'm right. So, that's yeah, okay. Right. That's fine. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, so back to your music, not just you know this other Primus and Tool. Um, how how do you record? So you know, obviously you play the banjo. We've discussed that, but do you yeah. do you play all of the instruments? Are you like Trent Reznor, or do you ever have other people come and play for you? Like how does how do you actually? literally record the music no so the the only thing that i don't make myself physically on an instrument are the drums and that's because i don't have a drum set yet but in the recording software that i have you're given the ability to write on a specific track and a specific instrument and include drums and so the keyboard then becomes each individual note for a drum so one key is a kick and one key is the snare and one key is a hi-hat mm-hmm. and then you can go through and write those individually so i write all of the notes for the drums and i meticulously go through so the, all of the drums i don't mean to interrupt but to boring great lengths and detail but, to, but yeah <laughs> but to clarify real quick like some people you know play an instrument or and literally make albums and make music yeah. that don't know how to like read or write music yeah, literally yeah. on paper right 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 you do have that capacity correct uh yes yeah yeah so sight reading is a little bit more difficult for me because i don't sight read meaning like i don't pick up a sheet music look at a staff and then like look at the note and then play that based on the progression of the measures but i understand theory so my ability to understand what key i'm in what notes i'm playing are all things that i've learned things that i've you know known throughout the entire year so I have kind of a blend of both learning by ear and learning technically. Like, that's kind of what it's called. A lot of musicians just learn by ear. They know how to play by ear. They're fucking amazing guitar players, great drummers, whatever. I mean, great, even jazz musicians, very technical and awesome. Some people are very classically trained. They learn how to just sight read. They go through Juilliard and all these really high prestigious schools, and they know how to play that way one's not right versus the other one doesn't really great make you great musician versus the other it's more just about your intent your practice and your uh willingness to actually pursue it you know like with anything else yeah i guess what i get well the reason i was kind of asking that is that so you know you were describing writing the the drum notes in the software so is that is that you looking at the the staff and putting notes in and like that like that is that how you write it or how does yeah. or, or do you so, are you like yeah, explain that. So I generally will start off writing uh, a drum track, and I'll write a drum track that I really like. Generally, the drum tracks that I really like are hip-hop-based, James Brown-based, funk-based. I'll write something like that in the time and BPM that I want, how many beats per minute, mm-hmm. how fast, how slow. Generally, I'll write that around a lick that I've written on the guitar because I'll just sit on the couch and I'll just practice and watch TV or whatever. And I might come up with something and I'll be like, oh, shit, I got to record that because that's fucking badass. I need to record it right now. And if I have the opportunity to, I will immediately go to my studio and sit down and record that. And I will find a beat that matches it in the BPM to that. And then I will loop that beat indefinitely until I write out all of the parts associated with that. So... I'll write down, I'll play the melody, I'll record the melody till I get it, till I want it, and then I'll start kind of playing around with different song structures of changing keys. Okay, well, now I need to go to a bridge, now I need to go to a chorus. And each section I'll just kind of treat as its own, and then I'll just start layering on top of that a bass line that complements it, banjo line, 
percussion elements, whether it's a shaker, cowbell, pots and pans. I've done that before in the past. I've played car doors. I've played car horns. Um, just whatever comes to mind because huh. I'm not limited by what I can record and what I want in my music. So It's interesting because, you know, as someone who doesn't make music at all, you know, you hear a song and it's like, oh, how did they write that? And you're like, oh, well, they heard the song in their head and then yeah, made it. No. But it's actually much more, and, I, you know, I arguably someone could write a novel and that could be the way they did it. But from my understanding, um, you know, it's typically a writing process, right, where yeah. you... You, maybe you you write out like well these are this is the direction I want it to go right and I'm gonna figure that large direction out and then I'm gonna go back in and find and discover mm-hmm. and that's really the creative process but when you don't it's just interesting how how many similarities or how you know analogous those things are generally the latter sometimes I'll have a moment where I'll hear all three sections maybe in just in terms of notes where I'm like oh the chorus is going to kind of go like this or yeah. move up in like a third or a fifth in the direction of the the verse but generally speaking like it is total discovery and I will spend sometimes hours maybe even sometimes days working on the next section and if it's not right and if it's not something that I feel like I'm grinning ear to ear and I'm like fuck that's badass and i love that yeah because at the end of a recording session especially when i've recorded something that i like like full drums full like bass guitar all that stuff i'll put it on my computer speakers and i'll turn it up full blast and then i'll just like walk around my studio and just listen to it and i'll fucking jam out man i'll fucking dance like i get into it i do because i love it and it makes me ridiculously happy like i go upstairs and I am just like on fucking cloud nine. I'm like, you have no idea what I just did. <laughs> and you obviously don't care that she being, or you being Bridget, you know. <laughs> she's just off in her own world doing dog shit. And that's totally fine. I don't care. But for me, it's just like, it It makes my life better, man. Yeah. I love it. I, I wouldn't change yeah. it for anything. Even if I don't get paid ever and nobody hears my shit except for you and my mom, I don't fucking care. Right. Like, it's worth it for me to do that. Yeah. But there was... Uh, so back to your original point about um, writing it based on seeing the whole project or maybe seeing it based on discovery. There's a great book called How to Fly a Horse that is about the um, like dismantlement, dismantlement, dismantlement of like the genius personification that we have from creative aspects. Like we, we consider like Bach and Mozart and Beethoven to be geniuses. And there's this stigmatism with the word genius that goes with the creative process that these people were somehow like akin to a gift that makes them be able to create something that was just like bestowed upon them, like almost like divine intervention. Like they were just like, I had this vision and then I blacked out and then I woke up and I wrote fucking, you know, symphony number nine. And it's like, no, they didn't actually. And this person that wrote this novel actually goes through like historical documents and looks at and shows like, they went through meticulous process of trial and error and frustration for months on writing, like day in, day out. Like, this didn't work. Cross this off. This sucks. Like, here's some notes that they wrote. This sucks. Cross that off. Throw that away. Like, this did work, but it was, like, only at the end of this section. Like, it was a very trial and error process. Like, they worked on their craft hard, meticulously to get to a skill level where they could produce. It wasn't just this, like... I'm born with a gift, so I just wake up and I get fucked up and then I just create something great. That's unfortunately a big stigma with music is that like, 
well, John Coltrane was only great because he like did a bunch of heroin, and you know Miles Davis was only great because he got fucked up on heroin. Everything else that sucked, and it's like no, those people practiced and worked their ass off all the fucking time because they loved it. They were almost like borderline obsessed with it. It was their life. That was who they were. It was their identity. Like that's what yeah. they did. So there's a couple things that that makes me think of. The first is like just just quickly to your point about you know about the, the fact that these people are, you know, didn't just stumble into it. It's also true, you know, two of my favorite artists in different areas, comedy and, and rap, but, I mean, they're they're my top people in those genres are Dave Chappelle and Tupac, right? right. And both Dave Chappelle and Tupac went to performing arts high schools. Yeah. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, right, they, right, they're right. trained yeah. performers. Exactly. They're trained entertainers. Right. They're not, right. they weren't just, just happenstance turned out to be good at it. Like, and then, and then, what that takes me into is um, Malcolm Gladwell is a is an author that is one of my absolute favorite authors. I've read all of his books, and um, I listen to his podcast. I listened. I've looked up every interview I've ever been able to find of him on YouTube and watched it. Yeah, he's great. I'm fascinated by him. Yeah, totally. And uh, he has a book called Outliers: The Story of Success. And that book is it, what the book you were describing reminded me of. It. it it's an exploration of how people are successful. Now, the most common anecdote that people are familiar with from that book is this concept of 10,000 hours. Right. Which people kind of misconstrue to say that what he says is that if you put 10,000 hours into something, then you're good at it, which is not what he says. What he says is that at minimum, you typically find that to become an expert at something, you have to spend at least 10,000 hours on it. Right. But you might not still be the best in your field at it just because you spent 10,000 hours. Yeah. That's just the minimum threshold to even begin the conversation. It's kind of like in martial arts, like, people think that the black belt is the top. But really, the black belt is like, the now you're the now you're <laughs> actually a student of this. Because right. before now, you right. didn't know enough for anyone to even care. Yeah. You're competing against other schools now. Right. Not just now, within your own, you know, your own school. Well, to some extent, I mean, I think it's kind of like a, like a master's degree or something compared yeah. to like a, a BA, right? Like yeah. Correct. every level of degree, but, you know. For sure. Anyway, but so in, in, in the Malcolm Gladwell book, again, Outliers, um, he, he highlights some of the people you mentioned. He talks about... Uh, I think it's Mozart. He talks about was Mozart the sixteen-year-old, or yeah, like six-year-old. He was yeah, he's super young. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So him. He talks about the Beatles, um, and several other successful things. But but in that, he talks about how people think that Mozart is a genius that had divine gifts, like you just like you described, right? Because at sixteen, he produces some of his greatest works that are still considered classical great works to this day. Yeah. And, but he had been composing since he was six years old. Correct. So that's where the 10,000 hours comes in. Like, he was grinding forever. <laughs> so the fact that he did it when he was 16 is almost irrelevant because he'd done it since he was six. If Who does something from the time they're six that consistently? Right. You know? Well, and the context of, like, <laughs> Mozart specifically that, like, kind of is always taken out of context. Like, oh, he's just, you know, this kid genius that did this these really great things. You're not putting it in context of the time period, and you're not putting it in context of his parents. His parents were both musicians. And a largely, a lot of his work, you know, um, historically, at least from documented perspectives, is done by a lot of his sister. So, but his parents were both musicians, and his, both, his parents, like, impeded on him to do meticulous practicing of violin from a very early age. So he didn't have the internet. He didn't have 
you know, TV. He didn't have radio. There was nothing. So all of your time spent at home was family time. And if your parents are musicians and what they want to do with family time is you fucking practice because they are obsessed. They're that, oh, what's that fucking uh, kid show where the, the mom was like obsessed with getting her kid into a pageant. I, yeah, pageant nightmare. I don't know. Yeah, right. Called, One of those yeah. things. Yeah, but you know, like they go through like hours and hours of torture. Yes. The kid. That was Mozart. Mozart did that. He developed arthritis when he was like 18 because right. his dad was just like, no, play it again. I mean. He was six, and he was playing eight hours a day, every day. Like, he didn't have TV. He didn't have kid time. If he went outside, right. it was to play stickball with a stick that you hit with a ball, and that was it, you right. know? Like that, you know. So, like, this idea of him being, like, a prodigy, it's like, he may have been talented in the field based on his genetic heritage from his parents, because they were both musicians, I guess, but largely it was based on his environmental impact of his parents from yeah. an early age. So all he did was just play. So it's like... It's hard to argue that he was actually like a prodigy because that's all he did. <laughs> right. Well, and that's that's the entire point of the, the Outliers book is that people think that success is derived from like grit, willpower, and like innate talent. Right. And if you look at just about any success story, and Malcolm Gladwell explores basically only the most successful stories. Right. Uh, again, like the Beatles and Mozart. Like those are the icons, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. It, it, that's just never the case. Like the Beatles, for example, had, I don't remember if it was like a year, maybe eight months, I don't know, some period of time where they were just living in Germany and they just performed eight hours a day at some bar in Germany, yeah. five days a week. Yeah. They literally just played an enormous amount of shows. Yeah. Right. So by the time they actually release a studio album and come to America and all this, yeah, they seem like this phenomenon. But again, they already put in right. ten thousand hours. Uh, time. Like, I read an interview with Tool, and they talked about how they were able to play so well together. And Maynard was like, the lead singer was like, we early on played so many shows that we were playing almost three hundred and sixty-five days a year. When you spend that much time around someone and you play in a creative endeavor that well together, you learn how to read each other's body language, how to read each other's like movements. You know, you kind of like telepathically kind of come together as a unit because you spend so much time together. So mm -hmm. you play together better. Like it does take time for those things to come in fruition. Like it's not just an innate quality that you're born with. Like, so. Right. You know. Yeah. It's super. It's, it's always super interesting. I have another friend that I, I remember it just speaks to like if you just spend the time like you can you can you can do just about anything like yeah right the, and there the, is talent there is talent yeah. there but that just be like there's a a really weird kind of phenomenon that i really like where you see like kid geniuses that go on like jeopardy and mm -hmm. stuff have you ever seen one of those kids like as an adult like as a ceo of a company or like a Fortune 500 company. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they're just not advertised that way. No. But generally, like, they're perceived to be this, like, oh, my God, they're going to do, like, great things with their life. They're in Harvard, and they're 16 years old. And it's like, wow, that's mind-blowing. But then you fast-forward, like, 20 years later, and they're, like, alcoholics, or they're, like, just junkies, or, or something are where they? they're... Or they're just not doing anything that's, like, remarkable that they thought the general public was going to do. And not because they're not able to do that or anything or that there's some reason for that. It's just, just because they had that quality when they were young, doesn't mean that they followed through with it and that that made them successful. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, 
it does determine for your own intuition to be something that you follow through with. Like right. it is willpower to a degree. Like it is like, I'm going to put one step in front of the other here and see where it goes. Like, right. But it's, it's also like, you know, uh, I are completely off track from your music right now, but we'll get back to that. But like, um, like in the outliers book, uh, you know, another example he talks about is uh, he's from Malcolm Gladwell's Canadian. So hockey, big, big thing there. Right. So right. he talks about how, the way that, and, and I'm getting the months wrong, but whatever, for the sake of the explanation, assume this is a, what the book says, but for the, as far as the, the actual literal months that he references. But basically, the way it works is children start playing hockey at a pretty early age, and then once they get to like 8, 9, 10 years old, then there becomes a division where now there's a like slightly more elite league, right? And to get into that elite league, you have to basically be recruited into it. And if you get into that league, you get access to, like, more coaching, better equipment, more practice time, everything. Like, more games, just everything. Because it's this, the more elite league. Sure. Except that the way the enrollment in the hockey league works is it's based on the, the, the age range that you get put into is based on your birth month, right? So... Because of the way it works, everyone who's born between January and March of a given calendar year, and again, the, that's what I'm saying, that might not be right, it might be different months, I don't know, but whatever. We'll say January through March. If you're born in that time frame, like, it's like 70 or 80% of the people in the NHL are born in January and March. And the reason for that is because when they're little kids, even though as an adult being nine months younger than someone or older than someone is completely irrelevant... When you're 10, your body is changing so rapidly that that nine-month advantage, if you're born in January of 2000 instead of December of 2000, right. you're almost a full year older. And that maturity, that physical maturity, is just a direct benefit to you in an athletic competition. So now you get recruited as one of the elite athletes because you're simply just more physically mature than the other kids that you're playing with. Sure. Which then puts you in the elite league where now you get access to all of this stuff that the other kids don't get the access to. And then that propels you to the elite of there, then go to the junior Olympic team, and then the Olympics, and then they're in the NHL, right? Right, right. And it's like, not that they don't work for it, and not that just because you're born January through March and play hockey means you're going to be in the NHL. That's not true. But if you were born in December it might not matter how hard you work. Yeah. Because if right. you're the runt at the wrong time, right. that's just what it is. Yeah. And it's like... Sorry, Rudy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why yeah. it's a fucking movie and not, you know, not not some real story. But anyway, I don't know. It's just... It, so it's, it's interesting because it's not to say that, you know, that things will just definitely not work out for you if you don't, you know... You definitely have to try things and believe that it can, but yeah. there are sometimes things working against you that you have no control over, and right, right. like in that case, they have to pick a cutoff time somewhere. So even right. if you change it from January to March to be August through October, well, it doesn't matter because now all the kids born in August through October go to the NHL. Right, it's, right, right. It's, it's right. kind of just a product of circumstance, but no, for sure, you know. I well, know. and I mean, and that's that's the that's the measure of success. That's the difference of doing something creatively for fun for a hobby perspective and doing something that is dependent upon you trying to make a living out of it. You know, that's your job. You have to pay mm -hmm. bills. Like when your bills are on the line and you have to do that 
for that purpose, like that adds a significant amount of stress. Like yeah. that's not just like, yeah. hey, this is fun and let's do this. It's like if I can't pay rent and I get a fucking convicted, then that's it for me. Right. You know what I mean? So it puts a constraint on the product that you've already produced on the thing that you've already done. And certainly like for professional athletes, like if your measure of success of being a professional hockey player is getting into the NHL, which it likely would be because what else other right. goal is there know. other than like the Olympics or something, but you can't control that. There's no way for you to control that. You can be the best hockey player that there is, and you may just not make the cut. There's like, just a just lot of that. aspect of things. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't attribute enough to. Right, which know? is what's weird about taking, like, specifically, like, an, an athlete's perspective of trying to work towards success, because it's like, I don't really know how you make yourself successful other than at a professional level, but... You don't have anything kind of you don't have any kind of control on a professional level to make that success. I guess that's probably largely true with music, but at least from my perspective with my music, I could if I actually wanted to go out and try and market it to sell in like commercials and I could make myself more marketable to do that kind of domain. Not an artist's perspective of like I'm gonna play live shows and I'm gonna sell albums, like maybe that doesn't work out for me, probably won't at this age, but I could actually try and sell like jingles and write jingles. Like there's shit tons of good money and people that make wide, wide range of success just doing that. And they're really good at it, but I, I guess I could do that, but that's a different element. You know what I mean? There's different monetary values yeah, well, that's success like I to play for on Netflix. They have this new documentary series. And I think it might be called like losers or yeah. Have like you that. seen that? Yeah, dude. It's did you dope. watch the boxing one? Like uh, no. One. Which one did I watch? Uh, shit, I can't remember. I won't describe the whole episode because whatever, it's only twenty five minutes. So if you're interested, check it out. It's, I think it was fascinating. Yeah, no, it was um, a cool show. Really cool because it's a, it's an interesting deep dive documentary, but it is digestible twenty five minutes. It's not a two hour film. Anyway, basically though, the boxing one. This guy's a boxer, hates boxing, becomes champion, hates it, gets really injured, but he spent so much of his life being a boxer that he's also kind of stuck in that, and ultimately be becomes a uh like a hollywood boxing trainer so when people actors need to prepare for the next rocky movie that's one of the guys that gets hired to yep. train them in that yep and 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 so it's like he's still able to leverage his knowledge and yeah. lifetime of work right into something related that's not actually just you have to be a price fighter exactly right so expand yeah. upon your level of success that you think is actually success right because if your idea of success from my perspective is to be a musician that's successful I'm not going to be the next Ariana Grande. Is that her name? The the new like pop is she star a musician. I think she's. I think you call that a performer. Yeah. Good. No. I mean, well, she's totally like pop star, but I'm never going to be at that level of success with music. Like right. that. That's not. If your idea of successful is being, we'll just say musician in quotes. But if that's your idea of success is to be that, right? Which is the American Idol, the Voice, right. all that shit. Like, if that's your idea of success. You don't have control over that. Like, there might be a wider range of success that you actually find enjoyable. Like, oh, maybe I'll just be a, a voicing coach. Maybe I'll do voices for jingles for commercial. Like, there's other aspects of, of monetary value yeah. from a business perspective that you could do. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, to go back to talking about your music a little more, like, do you think that it sounds like what I'm hearing, I should say, is that um, the fact that you haven't ever tried to really explore at least not like with a ton of momentum to explore making money off of your music that 
it's kind of allowed it to stay in this just like really comfortable, rewarding place because there's nothing else tied to it that yeah forces it to go somewhere that it wouldn't on it just on its own. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I genuinely, if it goes somewhere where it makes me money, that'd be great. The I, the problem with music is that it is a lot of money to copyright your individual songs and your individual collection. Is that why album. people go with like labels because they handle all that for you? Is that yeah. a benefit of that? Yeah, yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I can pay all that stuff up front, but really my return on that investment is probably pretty minimal. I mean, I could then pay a cost to go on, you know, Spotify or Google Music or something like that, and then have people pay a subscription, but. For an individual song, when I first learned about music business back in Phoenix, like that was, was like 45 bucks a song. So, I mean, if I have 10 songs, like, you know, you do the math. Like, that's just for one album that I just did on my own. Like, maybe I don't have a lot of money to put up that income alone, and maybe I don't make that back, you right. know. So, uh, so it was more just like, I'm just going to kind of do it for fun and just kind of see where it goes. If I got a significant, like, fan base or people that wanted to see it go in different directions, like, sure, like, but it's always just been something that is super fun and enjoyable to me. It's interesting. Um, I watched, uh, have you ever seen the Hasan Minhaj show, Patriot Act, on Netflix? No, I haven't. Really? I love that dude, though. He's oh, awesome. Oh, too. Oh, he's hilarious. So irreverent. Yep, oh, great. Mwah. Super great. His show is interesting. I, I watched an episode of it last night, and I watched, I watched all the first yeah. season. Before. Nothing against him, like, or that show. No, I, I just don't really watch TV, so I don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you watch Netflix stuff. <laughs> I really know. I, told you I people, really know. Man. I know. I told you people. Oh, no, no, <laughs> well, whatever. Okay. No time to watch TV though. Yeah. No. Look at really your fucking don't. telescope more. Thanks. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, so. Um, yeah. Here we are. Mm. Have another sip of coffee. Um, <laughs> so. Anyway. Uh, I actually well, talking about Netflix. I'm gonna show on Netflix. Yeah, something about you not winning, me winning. Yeah. I don't know something. Damn it, Minaj. Thank you, Patriot yeah. Act. Bring yeah, back. so he was talking about hip hop and streaming on his most recent episode, and he was talking about how the way that the streaming sites pay is per song streamed. Yeah. So what that has done is it has influenced like like he was talking specifically about the whole mumble rap scene that's yeah. burst out lately. Right. right. And how I Gosh. uh well little little pump Gucci Gang yeah. was I think maybe like a Billboard top forty song or something, and it's right. only like two minutes and seven seconds or some really it's under three minutes. Sure. Um and it's it's like one it's a very rare occurrence that a song that short makes the top forty. Yeah. And so but he was saying that because they pay per stream, now what you have is this entire rush of, of mumble rappers that because of that, are incentivized to make shorter songs. Because if they make 10 one-minute songs, they get paid more than if they made one 10-minute song, even though you still invested the same amount of time listening to them. Yeah. So, right, right. like, the business model is influencing the way that the art comes out. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah, yeah, definitely. Specifically, you know, the opposite of what you kind of had to experience by not trying to tie that to it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different models for going with whatever kind of direction you want to. Obviously, this is something that we're trying to kind of take into a full direction of, of going and see where we want it to go. You know, and I want it to do something that's that's well and produce something that's our own creative endeavor and see what the mold is going to produce and then and then generate it and move forward. 
Um, have you ever seen the show, The Great British Baking Show? I don't even watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like Netflix. You told me you like Netflix, so we already referenced that earlier. So, so it's this show. Even if you don't like baking, it that's not really like where the the quality in the show lies. What I like most about it is that it's actually like a reality show sit around like a competition just like it would be in the u.s but it's not drama filled it's not like cutthroat where like i'm angry against my competitor a lot of the people that they actually find to be on the show are just like housewives or you know men that are just like baking their like (laughs) free time And they just do it as a hobby. And they're not like, I'm trying to get my next restaurant and I need $10,000. So this is going to help me and my dad get over cancer. And it's like, whoa, Jesus Christ. Like, calm down. Like, it's not that big of a, you know, it's it's much more like laid back and relaxed in terms of their approach to creativity. So that's, I guess, kind of my endeavor, at least in this moment of time, where like, because I already have this job that is very fulfilling for me that I like doing, I'm okay with music just being something that is fun for me to do. And mm-hmm. if people like it, they, 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 awesome. If nobody listens to it but me, I'm still going to fucking do it till I die. Don't care. Does he always must listen to awesome. it when you're at work? Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, yeah he's bothered about nice. it. You know, He actually put it on uh, Ripley, which was on the Falcon um, capsule. I see. Get that reference? Uh, yeah. What course. is the name of his company? Tesla. <laughs> His space company. What's the name of his space company? Space Tesla. No, it's SpaceX. It's SpaceX. <laughs> I know SpaceX. There you go. They oh, land yeah. the rockets on the boat in yeah. the water all the time. Oh, it's crazy. Right, right. Well, no, right. I mean, hey, we were just talking about the. Uh, it's a, it's a tangent, but we were just talking about it last night about how like. <laughs> I just so I just took a trip recently and, uh, and I. I don't, I don't have, I've only flown, I've flown less than 10 times in my whole life. Right. 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 But I think it's like super cool still because I am naive and a hillbilly. Like the time you flew to Tennessee and you couldn't pop your ears for like a week when you went and saw your ex It was more just that I didn't understand that I needed to. I thought that everyone was just like, oh, just chew gum or pop your jaw. And that didn't work. But now I actually mid-flight will just pitch my nose and blow, and then yeah, pops right, the ears. Right, right. It's fine, but yeah, I love that story. Yeah, that, that was, was a horrible, that was a horrible experience. <laughs> it was like a week, flight. wasn't it? You couldn't pop your ears. You're like, it's a horrible headache. Uh, your ears I don't know if it was me. a whole week. I just I remember I got off the plane and 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 met the person I was meeting there, and she said stuff to me. And I, it was just like the like the Muppets or whatever. Like, wah, 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 wah. And I was just like, yeah. I have no idea what you're yeah, saying. Charlie Brown's nice. Parents. There we go. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, anyway, and so I, I was up at, you know, at 30,000 feet or whatever, up, up, up above the clouds, looking out the window in the plane. And I was just like, it's so cool that we're just, that we figured out how to just hurl a little metal bus around the world. Like, that's yeah. Crazy. Right. And 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 I was talking to my roommate last night and he was like, Yeah, man, I mean, we literally taught rocks how to do math. Like <laughs> and they're better at it than we are and than we could ever be, right? And it's right. just I don't know. Anyway, like I said, it's a that's a whole hippie tangent or something. But it's just <laughs> super it's just super crazy. Like Elon Musk is a fascinating character to me just because of like I don't know, it just feels like one of the few things that actually like is pushing the boundaries still of like what, yeah. what humanity 
could yeah. be doing. Uh, certainly opening up the endeavor of uh, space exploration towards privatized industry, which is where it should be. Right. Uh, at least from the aspect of if the public sector is not going to give enough funding to it, then like, well, let's privatize it. And like, you can make money off it. Plenty of companies want satellites in space. So mm-hmm. there's your monetary value right there for fuel. Well, like, I mean, you know, we now have Space Force on the way. So right. everyone's Correct. safe. Yeah, exactly. Super safe. Awesome. We'll use that for the border. <laughs> Well, I want to. I definitely want to play another song of yours. Cool. Um, so let's go ahead and put that on. Awesome.
that is going to do it for the show today. Thank you again so much for listening, and thank you, Misha, for coming on and talking about uh, your music and just sharing your, your creative process with us. For those of you who would like to get more of Misha's music, you can find him on SoundCloud. You're also welcome to email me at walker at the walk show podcast.com, or you can also email Misha directly at, at Misha at the walk show podcast.com, and we'll be happy to, to help you get, get more of that music. Thanks again for listening. Have a good one.